Hey, ready for me to do the intro three times? <laughs> so yes. Get it correct. <laughs> We're going to actually record this three times. <laughs> it's going to be a long day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Mr. Radical, where we take a theoretical approach to solving mysteries. I'm Lynn. And I'm JP. And today we'll be discussing several cases of missing and murdered indigenous women and girls from Bighorn County. Where's that? It's in Montana. Mm. Uh, the only thing I know about Montana is it's large and um, they have grizzly bears. And Mountains. It's supposed to be really, really, really Nature-y, beautiful. Nature-y, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's supposed to be really beautiful. What are... <laughs> What are big cities in Montana? Because I always think, I always get that confused with Missouri, honestly. Minneapolis? No. Minneapolis is in Minnesota. Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> See, I don't know much about Montana. Montana is, uh, I keep wanting to say Boise, but that's not there either. Idaho. Does Montana have a big city? They do. It's South. <laughs> South Montana. <laughs> <laughs> south south lakes um wait the great lakes is utah mm. what's the one with ozark ozark helena. helena no the no. ozarks are in like missouri or mississippi <laughs> or something helena i was thinking of helena and bozeman what's the mm -hmm. other one i could think of Billings. i don't know either helena is the capital okay i know that from the office <laughs> that's and, in pennsylvania is it I mean, the other... office is in Scranton. No, I know. <laughs> I thought you meant Helena was um, during the dinner party one and they're playing charades. Anyway, so I chose this case because one, it's Women's History Month. And what better way to talk about women's history than to bring attention and light to a horrific story about the missing and murdered indigenous women and girls epidemic that is happening although it should really be indigenous people because men disappear at pretty much the same rate. Yeah. So, I mean, remember our one. Yeah. Rapid, Rapid city. city. Mm -hmm. It is there. The statistics are like weirdly really close. Um, Which isn't usually relevant for like other types of crime against. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. usually women are way more packed mm -hmm. or whatever but yep. um i am focusing on women in this one because like i said it's women's history month but mm -hmm. men are men are it's happening to men too their cases are not shown the same respect or interest by police slash investigators or the media um the ju judicial system between state counties the native american sovereign nations is a messy minefield which leaves plenty of room for confusion and red tape um, which allows like all these cases to just fall through the cracks. Yeah. And not to mention the officers and states who see these young missing women with like a stereotypical mindset, which causes them to derail, even if it's not on purpose, it kind of will derail any justice for their families. Yeah. And as I've stated in earlier episodes, um, like when I did mine on the Canada one, this is not my story. Um, just trying to be an ally and bring awareness to these instances because they deserve the same respect and attention as anyone else. Yep, sure do. Maybe even more so since we've like shoved them into these little tiny plots of land and whatever. Mm -hmm. It's a phenomenon that is happening throughout America and Canada, but my focus on today's episode is going to be on one specific county in the state of Montana. Quick side note, I know that I tend to do like a really big info dump in the beginning of episodes like this, but I also think it's extremely important so that we can understand some of the cultural and legal context about what's happening. Okay. So that we can like grasp what's happening. I tried, I kept it pretty short. They're pretty short little things. So don't skip because it's important to understand. I mean, Unfortunately, can I can't skip. You can skip, you can <laughs> skip if you want to, but like, it's quick, it's short. I've kept it pretty I'm short. I'm just kidding. <sighs> So Bighorn County, I have three bullets. See, I kept it short. Bighorn County is named for Bighorn Sheep. It was established in 1913. It is the sixth largest county in the state, and it rests on the southeast border of Montana. So it has Wyoming to the south, but it doesn't border anything else on the side. There's like other counties before you hit North Dakota. 
Oh, it is. <laughs> I thought no, Montana was just under Canada. <laughs> you are teaching me things. <laughs> mm. It is. So, so it is. There's Canada and then there's Wyoming and then there's Idaho is on the side. And then, oh, and then there's Dakota's um, like to the left or right. North Dakota's to the, if you're looking at a map, it's to the right. Okay. Yeah. Or so. east as map people say. I mean, I do everything by yeah. st stage directions. So if I say right, stage I, right. Mean, I, mean, stage. I mean, your right, not my right. So it's stage left. <laughs> If you're looking at a map, because it's from the map. If the US, if the US was a musical, <laughs> Montana. I got where I got where everything is. We are stage right. New England is stage left. <laughs> got it. I do do it with everything. If you tell me to look at the one on the right, I immediately look at the one on the left. Uh-huh. It's a problem. Anyway, okay. So Bighorn County is around 5,023 square miles and it has a population that exceeds 1,300 people. Nope, 13,000 people. I was like, that's not that many. I knew no. Montana was small, but. No, <laughs> Montana's huge. <laughs> <laughs> I meant the population. Oh, yeah, it's very spread out for sure. Yeah. Bighorn County has several jurisdictions, but we'll get into that in a little bit. So the Crow Nation, they live on the Crow Reservation, which is home to the Crow Nation. Who, why did I write all that nonsense? Um, or the, and I, okay, so I found no YouTube videos pronouncing this. So I looked up like the hashtag on TikTok and then someone that speaks the language said it. And then I wrote it how he said it. So hopefully I'm pronouncing it right. Thank you, TikTok creator, native TikTok. You're great. Um, the Apsaloke people, which is a federally recognized tribe. Absaloke means children of the large beaked bird. And then the French translated the name Jean du Corbeau, which means people of the crows. And that is how they became known as the crow in English. Mm. And I think other nations call them crow or like people of the raven. What associates them with like crows and ravens? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. That's um, fine. So I'm going to talk about their land for a second, just so that you can get a grasp on like what's happening over there. I got this off of like a thing that's for first graders or something. <laughs> I don't know. Sweet. It had an A plus on the bottom and I was like, cute, but it was good information. So uh, their land originally began in the Yellowstone River Valley, which today goes from Wyoming through Montana and into North Dakota up to the Missouri River. I believe, and I can't find a solid number except for this source, um, it explains that in the Fort Laramie Treaty in 1851, the original Absaloke land covered 38 million acres. There was a second Fort Laramie Treaty, which of reduced course. Absaloke land to 8 mm -hmm. million acres in 1868. They did get paid like $30,000 a year, I think, but it went to the Secretary of Interior to like, yeah. So where that money really went, I don't really know. They probably have never seen that money. No. For most of it, the majority of it. Um, in 1882, a congressional act diminished their lands even further. And then also in that same year, the Northern Pacific Railroad paid $25,000, which is $644,642 today to acquire 5,084 acres of Absaloke land. But again, it was paid to the Secretary of Interior, not the actual people. Can I also just say this might be a dumb thought? Mm -hmm. No such thing. But we, as uh, we like colonizers came in mm -hmm. and we said, we're going to pay you money for this land, even though they don't use that money. Like they yeah. don't use cash. They use, you know, their own form of, of currency cur or whatever trade. Right. And yeah. So we kind of like forced it on them, forcing them to like, integrate into our society yep but anyway that's not a dumb thought at all i've never really thought about it but that is a very very good i was I, it just like struck and me then you don't even give it to me. them you give oh, right. it to the secretary of interior which is someone that works for the united states right to handle and give to them as you as they see yes. fit yep whereas they can't decide what they're going to do with their money yep but, yeah literally yes so it's like, and as I go on, you're going to be like, they were paid a lot of money, but it's not, they, they weren't like they were, but they weren't right. Especially for like native lands. Like that's their that's land. Sacred lands. Yeah. Right. 
Oh, I have a map. You're going to you're going to hate it. So in 1891, another congressional act for accession of land, which I did have to look up. So the accession of land is the act of assigning property to a different entity, usually by treaty, caused a loss of two million more acres. They were compensated nine hundred and forty thousand dollars, which is over twenty seven million dollars today, which I'm sure they've never seen. It's a big yeah. number. It's mm -hmm. a big number. In 1904, another congressional act diminished their lands again in the northern part of the reservation, which brought it to its present size at 2.3 million acres. In 1984, that happened? In 1904. Oh. They were not given a lump sum, but they were given separate funds provided for certain items like cattle, horses, irrigation. Yay. Oh, fuck off. Yeah. Anyway. So just to sum that all up, in 1868 is when it became the reservation, which originally covered 38 million acres, and now it only covers 2.3 million acres. Wow. The acreage that they do have makes it the largest reservation in Montana, and it is the fifth or sixth largest in America. I think it ties with Standing Rock, depending on if they count bodies of water. Tribal headquarters are located in Crow Agency. I'm going to show you a picture really fast just because you're not going to like it. <laughs> oh, wow. They had parts of all three states and now they're just like. Yeah. <sighs> anyway. It's so little. It's so little. So in 1962, the Court of Indian Claims paid the Apsiloke people over $10 million as compensation for their stolen lands. I have a feeling if they've gotten any money out of any of this directly, it was probably that. Yeah. Which is not close to enough for no. what they've been, to, been through. The Apsiloke land takes up 64.2% of Bighorn County. There are 10,000 tribal members living on or near the reservation and 5,000 off of the reservation. Like that are enrolled, I think, with the reservation itself. Right. So in case Bighorn County doesn't have enough jurisdictional red tape with this very large, it takes up over half of the county reservation, we're going to talk about the Northern Cheyenne Reservation, <laughs> which covers 6.37% of Bighorn County. So like... So much of it is, I was going to do the math, but I'm not going to get it right. So 97% no, is native reservations and it's two native reservations. So it's not even one. The Northern Cheyenne reservation is federally recognized. It covers approximately 690 square miles, which is around 444,000 acres. It is home to approximately 5,000 Cheyenne people, and it has 99% tribal ownership. I could not find how you pronounce their name. I found like a, like a, like a phonetic spelling, but I don't know how they pronounce like TSs. I know, okay. in I know in Japanese it's like, but I don't know what it is in this. So say, say stas, I think it's T-S-I-S space, T-S-I-S apostrophe T-A-S. Okay. Say, say, Taz, something like that. I'm so sorry. Um, it means the beautiful people, which I thought was nice. Aww. The reservation is bordered by the Crow Reservation to the west and the Tongue River to the east. They were originally 10 bands of Cheyenne and their territory stretched from Montana to Texas. And now there are only two distinct nations, the northern one in northern Montana and the southern one is in Oklahoma. So. They've had a lot of land. Yeah. Snatched too. In 1884, the United States established the Tongue River Reservation, which consisted of 371,000 acres, which wasn't extended further east to include the Cheyenne who lived near the Tongue River. So in 1990, it was extended to the western bank of the river. So it reached the total acreage that they have now. The tribal and governmental headquarters on the, of the northern Cheyenne people is in Lame Deer, Montana, which resides in the county east of Bighorn. So even though most, some of it's in Bighorn, the, the main, the headquarters are in the county over. At one point, the Cheyenne and the Lakota became allies and the Crow were one of their enemies. So one of the reasons the Crow are so far west is because the Cheyenne and the Lakota like pushed them that way. But I don't think, I, I watched one video and there was like, someone had asked like, 
is there still hate there? And they were like, maybe with some of the older generation, there might be yeah. some anger, but for the younger people, not so much. I think they're more about unity than anything. Yeah. So if any of this sounds a bit familiar, you may know Bighorn for the Battle of Little Bighorn, or at least uh, like a whitewashed school version of it, which was, was the Cheyenne. Civil War? I don't no. know. Okay, no. <laughs> no okay, idea. I didn't write Take the year. Out. Take that out. <laughs> Uh, I also don't know geography. I also don't know my history. (laughs) I know history, but certain, I'm more into science anyway. Okay. So (laughs) it was, I don't know. I didn't, I think so. But that doesn't make sense because Alexa, (laughs) Alexa, when was the battle of little bighorn? So maybe. That sounds Civil War-ish. Yeah. Alexa, when was the Civil War? No, no, no. This is after. So this is similar. It's probably just them going west. Yeah. I'm not sure. Anyway, just so we have like a refresher on whatever you learned when you were seven. It was the Cheyenne and the Lakota people. They were led by Crazy Horse and Chief Gall, who were inspired by the visions of Sitting Bull, and they defeated Colonel Custer and the U.S. Army. The battle took place on the Crow Reservation, and I believe the Crow were scouts for the U.S. Army because it sounded like their chief at the time was like, we have to work with the white people so they could kind of gain, be on the good side, you know what I mean? Like not be taken advantage of. Which right. may be why they have a larger reservation. Yeah. But like I said, it's still stealing their land and the money you paid them didn't even really go to them. So fuck all of you. And the land where the battle happened is run by the National Park Service today. So just so you gives you some context for your life and your brain. Yeah. So we're going to get into the missing and murdered indigenous people from Bighorn County. Well, women and girls, because this is Women's History Month. Yeah. I have five cases and then I can't, so I'm going to do like, I'm going to discuss like the case, like the last time they were seen and a little bit about them and stuff. And then we'll get into theories and kind of like the aftermath of everything later. So collect your thoughts, collect your thoughts as we go. I'll probably just spit them out. That's totally fine. (laughs) You don't have to follow anything that I'm setting up. Okay. So Frida Nose Gun was 34 years old, and she's a mother of three. Her kids were her everything, and she was determined to make it back to Crow Agency by Halloween so that she could take them trick-or-treating. So she was, at the time, she was at a Walmart in Kennewick, Washington, which is 740 miles from home on October 18th, 2016. She was waiting for a money transfer from a friend. 2016. Oh, yeah. These are all recent. This is the oldest one. I went chronological. So these are all recent. Okay. Um, So she was waiting for a money transfer, I believe, to get back home. The transfer was coming from a friend that was back in Billings, Montana, which is like right outside of Bighorn, I believe. First, there was a name mistake, which made the money transfer take longer because you know how Western Union, they're bitches and they're like, you spilled your your name doesn't look right. Right. I guess it's uh, a good. I guess it's a good thing because they're protecting the money. But yeah, but annoying. at the same time, yeah. Like if it's a typo, go fuck yourself. If it's a complicated name, you know what I mean. Like her name is Frida Nose Gun. Like nose, like I know something. Yeah. And gun. I don't. How do you mess that up? I don't. Whatever. You could put nose as in nose on my face. I guess. <sighs> Especially if like you're because Western Union, you call to like transfer the money and stuff. So maybe they weren't like, well, spell that, you know? Yeah. Anyway, the name mistake made it take longer. And then not 15 minutes passed. The money arrived and Frida never picked it up, even though she was literally waiting in the Walmart for the transfer. Right. When her friend called her back to see if the money went through, her phone wasn't working, which is so immediate of like. So this was only a 15 minute time frame. And this is the place she works. No, she was there. I don't know why she was there, but she was trying to get back home. So she was just trying to get this money. Okay. She was literally there for the money order. Okay. 
there is a lot of confusion in regards to Frida's disappearance. One thing said she had been living in Billings, Montana, but another thing said she was just going there a lot since July that of that year, 2016. So I don't know if she lived there or if she still Maybe lived. she was seeing someone there or was friends, had friends there. Well, her mother said apparently she fell in with a bad crowd. And according to her mother, she started abusing substances and was seeing less of her family. I see. So, so um, probably visiting people there. Right. Two was we know that this was her last known conversation was with her friend about the money mm-hmm. order. Three, due to native to English translations being inexact, there is confusion about her last name. Her birth name is Frida Nosegun, but due to English being English, it's common for his to be added. So it could be Frida knows his gun. Okay. I think just like translation wise. Yeah. Yeah. After Frida's disappearance, her new friends didn't give any information. The ones in Billings, her roommate's mother even approached her parents in a store telling them not to mention their child's name to the FBI. Frida's family hasn't heard from that family since, and they have moved to California since then. Frida's family or the, the, the fam- roommate's family. I see. Roommate. Okay. Yeah. So Frida was noticeably missing from her aunt's funeral. This is when the first report was filed under the name Frida Nosegun on November 14th, 2016. So notice that she wasn't reported missing until a month had passed from her last known phone call. Cause she was like close with this aunt and she didn't come to the funeral. Yeah. And I guess if she was like, well, if she was missing, how would she know about Yeah. True. It is not typically out of character for her to disappear for a few days, but she's never gone this long or that long because it was a month. Right. Due to her possibility of drug abuse, the police didn't take this report seriously. A second report was filed on December 11th, which changed her name to Nose His Gun. The FBI became involved with her case, but it took a while for them to become involved. The last time the FBI contacted the family was to ask Frida's sister. And this is a direct quote from an article in the Billings Gazette, which is my main source of information. So hopefully they're good. (laughs) I don't know. So the FBI agent spoke to her sister and said, have you ever heard of a drug called hot shot? He said, once you take that stuff, you forget who you are. I said, no, I've never heard of that. And that's the last they heard from them. Um, wow. Crow Agency, Montana police are supposedly still investigating her case. Well, they probably don't even have jurisdiction. Right. Well, that's, we'll get into all that. Um, we're going to move on to Bonnie Three Iron. Bonnie Three Iron was 35 years old. She is survived by her mother, Jennifer White Bear, and her six children. On April 7th, 2017, Bonnie was in the kitchen with her children. She was standing by the door that led to the basement. Her mother came down to gather the kids to get them to bed because it was a school night. And she told Bonnie that she would put them to bed, but Bonnie had to take care of them in the morning. Bonnie said, okay, I will. I love you and good night. Those were the last words that she ever said to her mother. Bonnie was found in the Wolf Mountains on the Crow Reservation on Friday, April 14th, 2017. The FBI was involved with Bonnie's case. Her family had organized a search party with the help of Carrie Lance. Um, Carrie Lance comes up a couple times. He like just helps organize search parties because he's like done it before. So he's like one of the people that they call. Reminds me of Texas EquiSearch. The guy, I think his name is like Tim or something. Um, but he like kind of started Texas EquiSearch, which does like a lot of search. Like they search for Kaylee Anthony. They searched mm-hmm. for... Like a lot of big, high-profile, like interesting or high, we're like well-known missing yeah. cases. Interesting. Yeah. It's like that, but like less known cases. Right. This is like less known, and he's more of like an. It seems to me so far from what I've heard that he's more of or they they she Carrie is a, a man. <laughs> okay, he uh, is more like an advocate for indigenous yeah. people. Yeah, he's great in my opinion. He seems very yeah. sweet. Um. Anyway. So the family organized this search party with the help of Carrie Lance, who helped. um, He generally would help with the neighborhood watch group. The group of volunteers found her body three hours after they started looking. Bonnie was beaten and left out in the cold. Her official cause of death was determined to be hypothermia on Monday, April. Okay, so dates got confusing. 
one article said Monday, April 10th is like her, the day she died, but she wasn't found until the 14th. So I don't, I don't what, know. What year was this again? 2017. And then, okay. So this was only like four years ago and the media is still like missing dates or like not doing thorough enough research to provide the public with accurate information. Yes. So that's her official cause of death was hypothermia. However, those in the search party believe that there is evidence that she was murdered before and then she was dragged to the secondary location. No one has been charged, arrested, or held accountable for her death. The open investigation appears to be non-existent. It's like nothing's happening. Right. Moving on to Henny Scott. Henny Scott was a 14-year-old girl and a freshman at Lame Deer High School. So she was a member of the Northern Cheyenne nation. They found letters in her locker that she was dreaming of becoming a doctor and then one day joining the Marines. Oh, I know. Um, She was last seen on December 8th, 2018. She was seen walking away from a residence in the Muddy Creek area, which is just a little bit west of Lame Deer. Her family repeatedly reported her missing but it took 19 days for any public bulletins to go out from the FBI. And even then it wasn't widely broadcast. No Amber alert. Well, I guess Amber alerts that you have to witness an abduction, but still. But they didn't even put, they didn't put This is a missing child. They didn't put any for 19 days. Yeah, that's ridiculous. And as we all know from the... 1990s and 2000s TV show, the first 48 hours. It's all is that matters. <laughs> yeah, not all that matters, but it is the most it's, important. Yeah, yeah. Henny's mother, Paula, was told by police that Henny probably just ran away and would return, return sooner or later, but she never This did. is what we were hearing about white kids in the 80s, and they're trying to apply it to indigenous kids in the yeah. In the teens of the thousands. Of like five years ago. Yeah. Yeah. That's the stereotyping we're talking about is like the drug use or like maybe she ran away or she was drinking or. Right. Yeah. Paula reached out on Facebook first and people would respond that they saw her here or there. So she would relay that information to the police, but they didn't do anything with it. She became frustrated with the lame deer officials. So she went to the crow officials where she learned that her report just sat on someone's desk because it was around Christmas vacation. Wow. Wow. Cause it is December 8th. Excuse me. It is December 18th. Mm-hmm. Ugh. They just don't care. They just want to get like home to their families. They don't actually care about the job that they're doing. Nope. Hmm. Frustrating. Oh, you're going to get so pissed. There is more to be pissed about. Don't worry about it. Um, All of Henny's online activity stopped when she went missing. The last time she was seen, she was wearing clothing that was not suitable for the below freezing temperatures of Montana in December. The same group that organized the search party that found Bonnie Three Irons, so Carrie Lance, our resident hero, Mm -hmm. um, found Henny on December 28th, 20 days after she went missing, only like a day or two after the FBI issued the public advisory for her endangered and missing status. She was found within 200 yards from the residence that she was last seen leaving. That, uh, and it's not like a very, it's not like an urban area. She's, yeah. Like where you could be like hide something down an yeah. alley or you could hide something under a building or something. It's just trees and hills and bushes. Wow. And even then it's not even like forest. It's like all open. It's just like sporadic trees. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, the autopsy determined that Henny died of hypothermia and was an accidental death due to them not finding any significant trauma or pre-existing diseases. They also determined that alcohol was a significant condition regarding her death. The Department of Justice claims that it is their job to determine if there has been a federal crime committed beyond a reasonable doubt. The office could not find proof that a federal crime was committed. U.S. Attorney Kurt Almay, Alm, whatever, explains that the FBI and the BIA, which is the Bureau of Indian Affairs, has made Henny's case a priority and that he has sympathies for her family and for the Northern Cheyenne people. 
Do you have any information on the Bureau of Indian Affairs, like how it was formed or like who's a part of it? Is it something that we put together or something that? I think it's something we put together because they are part of the federal government. Got it. Yeah, but I didn't look into that. I can. (laughs) No, that's okay. Paula describes her mother describes that the only time the FBI agent assigned to Henny's case contacted her was to sign a release for Henny's Facebook and Snapchat. That's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. Henny was described by her friends and family as someone who was always laughing, who lit up a room. Her mother called her a bright soul or like a bright light bouncing around the room. Aww. So that's heartbreaking. We're going to move on. Okay. Case number four. Sarah stops pretty places. That is her name, and I love it. Can you repeat it? That sounds really pretty. Sarah stops pretty places. Okay. Um, she was 18 years old and would have been a senior at Hardin High School in 2020. She disappeared in 2019. Wow. She was enrolled an enrolled Crow tribal member, but also had roots with the Northern Cheyenne, the Mondan. Hidatsa and Irikara tribes. I did not look up how to say any of those. And if I butchered them, my, my deepest apologies. She lived with her grandmother for the majority of the time on the Northern Cheyenne Reservation. Her family described her as strong, independent, athletic. She was someone who always stood her ground and would stand up for her friends if they needed her to. She was a tough girl, but she was also extremely skilled at braiding hair. And she would often sit with her younger sister and braid her hair. Oh. Um, Kaysera was last seen on August 24th, 2019 in Hardin, Montana at a house party. She was less than half a mile from the Crow Reservation. Kaysera was reported missing on August 27th, 2019. So it only took them a few days to be like, she's nowhere to be found. Yeah. Her body was found two days later on August 29th by a pedestrian who passed by a backyard of a home in Hardin, Montana, on the corner of Rangeview Drive and Mitchell Ave. She was in a backyard? She was in a backyard. I'm going to show you maps again um, because it will be relevant. So this is the Crow Reservation. Right. She was found, like, right here. I see. That's nice that they put a highway straight through the Crow Reservation. Lovely. So this is like, Um, this is where she was found because that's the corner of those two streets. Yeah. So it's like right, it's like right there. Wow. So are you ready to be angry? If you weren't angry yet, you're going to. Yeah. Even though she was reported missing on the 27th and was found on the 29th, the authorities did not contact her family until September 11th. Holy crap. They waited to, did it take that long to identify who she was? So I think it did because her aunt said, so like most articles were saying they just didn't, they didn't know. Um, but her aunt said that she was lost as a Jane. She was like categorized as a Jane Doe until the medical examiner found dental records that identified, like positively identified her. But like, was she so, you couldn't have the family come in and see if it was her? Number one, number two, like I'm sure the family provided pictures and you know that a missing woman went from just that same area, like. And I saw one thing that was like a blog that said she was so badly decomposed, but she was gone for like four days. That's not that long. She couldn't have been that decomposed, even like you're in Montana. You're not in Texas where the heat is like brutal. Right. Even in August, I'm sure it's kind of normal. Right. Well, Well, we'll get into all that in a minute. So medical examiners have been unable to determine her cause of death. Some causes have been ruled out, but neither the autopsy or the toxicology report are able to provide an actual cause. The autopsy ruling is based on an autopsy conducted by the state deputy medical examiner, which is Dr. Andrea Orvik. So I was trying to find where there would be stereotypes or whatever, but Dr. Andrea Orvik, um, according to the Billings Gazette, she was new to the state because they opened a brand new crime lab with an updated facility and stuff. And that like offered opportunity for a forensic pathologist like her with someone with a career like hers, because I think she's from Tennessee. 
So I don't see why she would have any biases or anything because she's new right. to the area. Don't we'll get into all the theories and all the side thoughts in a minute. Last case, Selena Not Afraid. Selena Not Afraid was 16 years old. She played basketball and loved horseback riding. That's kind of all I can see find about her personality. I'm sure there's more, but that's what I found. Um, she was five years old? 16, 16. Oh, okay. Yeah. She was last seen on January 1st, 2020, around 2 p.m. Selena was leaving a disabled van that was taking her home after a New Year's Eve party. The vehicle was seen at the eastbound I-90 rest area in Hardin. The van restarted and the group drove away, leaving Selena and another young woman behind. Why? It's a, it's a small van. You know, if there's people that like that didn't make it. Yeah. The people in was the van. Was this a school event? No, it was like a kid's party because it's New Year's. The people in the van have claimed that they made sure to call relatives of the two girls. Selena was last seen walking into a field. The temperature that Dan Harden was above freezing at a high of 44 degrees and a low of 36. So it was still cold, but it wasn't freezing. Yeah, I'm sorry, but the van people should be held liable yes. for a, a lot of this crap. Yes. They were kids. Yeah. They were kids. Um, yep. You don't just call the parents and say, hey, left your kid. Couldn't at find a them. rest stop. It's yeah. not like, a, and it's not like a fancy one that's like a building. It's like a bathroom. Yeah. Pull over. Um, when the ride arrived for Selena and the other young woman, I don't know who the other young woman was. I couldn't find any information. Selena was nowhere to be found. That evening, the temperatures dropped into the twenties with some light rain. Nine days later, a community led search team was looking for any clues. Carrie Lance again, (laughs) love him. Okay. Yeah. 20 days after her disappearance, the Department of Interior search team found her body at 10.30 a.m. during a systematic grid search. Selena was found three quarters of a mile from where she disappeared in a sagebrush on the side of the road. Authorities explain that it's big country and it's a lot of ground to cover, which it is. I get that. Yeah. The Bighorn County Sheriff's Department claimed that foul play was not suspected. At the time, the medical examiner didn't give the sheriff's office a time of death, but they found no evidence of any violence. She didn't have bullet, beating, nothing. Right. The sheriff's office completed its own investigation in her death before handing over to the county attorney's office. Selena's cause of death was officially deemed to be hypothermia. Yeah. This was signed by four state medical examiners. Selena Not Afraid is the 28th missing Indigenous woman since 1990 from Bighorn County alone. We're going to talk about jurisdictional red tape and issues for a second before we get into theories. So in the late 1800s, the federal government imposed itself onto tribal nations, implying that they do not trust the nations to police themselves. So the law, which still exists, allows the federal government to go into reservations for crime control whether they're requested for or not. Wow. Um, I did I, so this research, just so I can give her her due credit, I had my friend Amanda help me research this because I was like, I will get caught up in the legal stuff and I want to focus more on the cases. So I sent her on this mission to describe Thanks, Amanda. jurisdictional stuff. So thank you for all your research. It's beautiful. I've even linked one of the things that she posted, which I'll talk about in a little bit. Um, cause it was a lot of information and I was like, instead of talking about it, I'm just going to link it and people can read it if they want to. So yeah, there you go. But she did great research. Thank you. Um, so narrowing it down to the Crow Northern Cheyenne reservations, these are the systems in place. They both have the same leading investigative agency is what is English leading investigative agency for both reservations are the FBI and the BIA. Okay. The CPS system is the BIA social services. Victim services are through the FBI, BIA, and the USAO, which is the United States Attorney's Office. Mm -hmm. Tribal law enforcement. The Northern Cheyenne do not have their own tribal law enforcement, so they rely fully on the BIA. Okay. The Crow Reservation has Crow Highway Safety Officers and Game Wardens, as well as a small tribal police force. Mm -hmm. Both the Crow and Northern Cheyenne Reservations Delegate tribal law enforcement to the BIA, but there is a lot of um, changeover in the BIA. Like if you have a, if they have a chief that does a good job, he usually gets promoted to something else and leaves. So there's a lot of new people filtering in and out 
Can oh, I make a office. quick side note? Yeah. If if um, I know that you mentioned that the federal like uh, agencies can mm-hmm. intervene on tribal because they likely do not trust that the tribal officers can do their jobs accurately, but are we providing them with the resources to learn and to study things so that they can actually like, are we empowering the officers, the tribal officers, or are we just saying, you know, you tried, you didn't do it. Sorry. I think, you know, cause if we gave them the tools and we taught them how to do it appropriately, maybe they, maybe they would do a really good job. I don't think so. Well, in the tribal police that are for the Crow Nation, they are new. They only formed in like July of last year. I see. Um, okay, and they so. can apply for grants and stuff to help them. Mm-hmm. Um, but they I shouldn't don't... have to apply. We should be able to like provide them references, resources. Right. Like, you know. I um, don't know. I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah. So. Like I said, they both delegate tribal law enforcement to the BIA, but only for certain things for the Crow Reservation. Joint investigations between the FBI and BIA are mandated in cases involving death, sexual abuse, rape, kidnapping, arson, assault, and crimes involving weapons. They are to remain in constant contact with each other and share information with with each other. So that's two federal bureaus working together. So the Northern Cheyenne completely delegate tribal law enforcement to the BIA, while the Crow delegate most of it to the BIA, but they keep a few tribal law officers as well. The issue for tribal police is that they have no jurisdiction on non-native peoples, and they have limited sentencing power, which only allows them to put someone away for the maximum of one year and a maximum of $5,000 fine, even for homicide. Which, like, the FBI and the BIA are supposed to be involved for homicide cases, but that's all that they're able to do. So it's hard to, like, enforce rules when they're like, whatever, it's a year, you know? As of June 2020, the Crow Nation has assumed law enforcement services themselves. Um, But the FBI and BIA will be able to, will still be able to lead investigation agencies for major crimes. So they're taking care of search and rescue, human trafficking, drug trafficking, you know, domestic disturbances. And right. at the time when they created their own little tribal law enforcement team, the BIA only had five officers to cover 2 million acre space of open country. The tribal police's goal is to hire 15 police officers. Even with those officers, it, will still, it still takes them a long time to respond to calls due to lack of cell phone service, So satellite phones are like their best option. Um, They mainly need more numbers and upgraded equipment to work efficiently. So they're, so right now they're fighting to work. They're like the BIA isn't doing shit because there's only five of them and they can't like respond quickly to things. And then they're now they have like their own thing, but they're fighting to up their numbers and equipment so that they can actually be efficient in helping out. Because they are the highest, they have like the highest missing people, I, either in Montana or the state. I don't remember. I think I say it later. Um, it was voted that the Crow Reservation severs their contact with the Bighorn County Sheriff's Department. They want nothing to do with them. Hmm. Bye-bye. I wonder why. Oh, you'll know why. <laughs> so, theories. I don't want to know why. <laughs> <laughs> you don't. You don't. It's all shit. Um, I do the like I do want want to know why because I want to know how like disgusting it is but at the same time like I don't because it's I upsetting would love, it's I would love to be ignorant to all that but unfortunately sorry I'm about to <laughs> make you <laughs> about to steal your ignorance away your bliss um Frida knows gun I don't have like full theories it was just so w- the way I dug for hers I cannot find any proof that the Kennewick Police Department or anyone in Washington has looked into her case at all. I get why the focus and force driving the investigation is coming from Montana, since that's where she's from. But why is no one in Washington looking for her? There's no, I mean, looked at like Jane Doe pictures and I couldn't find anything. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) that's exactly why is because she's not one of them. 
Right. And because nobody in Montana is driving Montana to look for them. It's only the people she's from. And that bothers me. Yeah. Like, why did no one call the that police department in Washington and be like, hi, are you looking into this? Are you looking into this? Because obviously it's not going to be someone from Billings. It's going to be someone from Washington that kidnapped her or murdered her or whatever. Yeah. I even looked through that police department's Facebook, (laughs) like back in 2016, they, because they post like, oh, we answered a call about a car crash and we answered this and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no missing, no missing person. Yeah. Great. Um, I don't really have any theories for Bonnie three iron. I don't know. What do you think? Because she's the one that was standing by it. She was last seen in her mother's house. And then she's the one with the weird dates. Hypothermia. Mm -hmm. And why would she end up up in the mountains? Holistically, I don't know anything about her. So I don't know, like, what her friends were like, you know? I don't know any of that. So if it was common for her to go up to the mountains, we don't know. Right. Um, If, like, she was, like, Okay, uh, as an example, I'm not saying that she was or anything, but like, was she an alcoholic? Like, did she go out and get like tipsy right. with friends, or was she out like for a night with friends? Like, m- maybe that's why um, her family put her kids to bed, right? Yeah, because she was like going out for like just a one nighter, like fun night out with yeah. friends or something. Um, and they go up to the mountains. They have a little bonfire, you know tell stories drink a little bit um and then maybe i don't know like something happened there or i mean the theories are open and endless um i feel like there should be more evidence yeah or like more investigating more looking into it but unfortunately they don't have the resources to do that um i think that it's so it it does like have a lot of callbacks to Rapid City where um yeah. it was all hypothermia and like and stuff like that because yeah. but the reason it was hypothermia is because of the uh homelessness problem. Right. I don't but doubt she wasn't that, homeless, you know. I don't doubt that some of these like um Selena, I don't doubt that she died of hypothermia, but the people that left her out there. Right. Or, or if she was chased or because there's some reports kind of said that she didn't have shoes on. And like, why wouldn't she have shoes on? You know what right. I mean? Like, there, it's just like, I don't understand. at a function and where there's yeah. an actual bus, like it might be a minibus or whatever. But it's no, I act- think it's literally like a van. Yeah. Like, a, like an a kid's, actual like, but you have to like a minivan that or regulate that somehow you no, know a minivan a minivan oh a minivan it's kids it's kids driving a van they were just driving her home but i don't then the van yeah. broke down they should have been held liable you yeah know, you don't just leave your friend yeah or your kid's friend you know yeah. i don't know i agree I think there was negligence for sure. Oh, absolutely. I think there is with a lot of these. Or just like if they looked sooner, they might have found them, you know what I mean? Yeah. Alive or mm-hmm. or something. Like it's just the whole system of it all. Yeah. Penny Scott, this is rumored. I don't want to like say any of this is fact. It's like on certain websites, it's not on others. So I don't really. I did breeze through Reddit for some stuff, but I didn't like cite it because I didn't really use it. I was just trying to see if they provided sources of this information or whatever. Yeah. Um, Around the time of Henny's disappearance, like right when her phone stopped, whatever, there was a Snapchat video circulating of her being jumped. I cannot find this video anywhere. I can't find proof that this video existed because fuck Snapchat and their 24 hour whatever. Um. Henny's mother brought this video to the police, but after investigating, they ruled the video unreliable. Her mother explained that she had bruises, and according to federal officers, there was no assault, but obviously she was assaulted. If she had bruises, like, on her face when she was found. This article, written in 2020, states that federal officials are refusing to give Paula Henny's autopsy photos. Wow. Paula is still trying to obtain this information. Which is interesting because they've closed the case, right? No, I think it's still 
don't Did you freeze? Oh. <laughs> no, sorry. <laughs> I was trying to read. I think her, no, Henny's case was closed in August, 2019. So then you, like, that's uh, public information. Yeah. Act. P- yep. Like, yeah. And this is over a year later and Paula still hasn't seen autopsy photos. Yeah. When the FBI and BIA were discussing it with Henny's family, they kept bringing up her alcohol level and how she probably just passed out and then froze. I mean, it's a, it is a possibility, but it is, I'm not saying that's not the way she died, but there has to be someone held accountable. And the fact that she, you could have found her alive. Yeah. She, I just hope that the police like learn from this and are, and do better. But from these five cases, they're obviously not. You know what I mean? Like they're Mm -hmm. all the same story over four years of cases. Yeah. Henny's case was a joint investigation between the FBI and the BIA. And according to the United States Attorney's Office, the leading cause of the length of Henny's investigation was by trying to get social media companies to comply with subpoenas. Which is really hard to do because you can't. It is. But why aren't you out looking for her while you're waiting? Yeah. It also just sat. Why didn't you put out a public bulletin? So if people saw her, they knew who to contact or knew that she was missing and could contact you. Like it doesn't excuse the lack of them making it known to the public that she was missing. Right. Or, or sending out search parties. She was found the day after they made it public Mm -hmm. the day and like 200 yard, like basically in the same yard that she disappeared from. Like, it's just, it's negligence for sure. Yeah. Okay. Okay, Sarah stops pretty places. I think it's a police cover-up, and I'm going to tell you why. It's all based on rumors. I do think it should be looked into. The idea for me is based on some rumors and some suspicious circumstantial evidence, and I got most of this. It was on Reddit and on some like weird blog things, um, but I, I stuck with this um, law firm called Pipestem and Nagel, Nagel which is dedicated to protecting the rights of sovereign tribal governments and improving the lives of native native people. They're based out of Washington, DC, but they have an updated article from January, 2021 regarding her disappearance. So I kind of based it off of what they had because I was like, they must have more facts than like Reddit. No offense, Mm. Reddit. In the article, they mentioned two large things that I think are extremely important to note, but they are not noted in any mainstream, mainstream like news source, the Billings Gazette, or anything like that. Mere days before she went missing, Kaysera allegedly filmed a video of several law enforcement officers, including Big uh, County deputies, beating her 15-year-old brother who was in a wheelchair wow, at the time. Wow. She posted the video on social media. Again, I cannot find the video anywhere. I tried to find like her brother's name. I couldn't find any of that. Yeah. According to the article, and Reddit, but again, I don't remember. <laughs> um, the responding officer who was present, no. According to the article, one of the officers in the video was a responding officer who was present when her body was discovered. Uh... There's more. The next issue with her case is that the Bighorn County coroner, Terry Bullis, allegedly coerced her family into cremating her remains. I did think this was extreme, but I found an article from 2002 where the same coroner embalmed a body without first contacting the family simply to line his own pockets. He was put on probation for a year and charged $1,000. The article is listed in our references. So I was like, I don't know if this is true, but just like he already did shady shit like that before. So yeah, and I I've I think that I even mentioned something similar to that in Rapid City where they embalmed and or cremated yeah. the body before there was any investigation. Her happened. cause of death was never determined. Like mm-hmm. they don't know. So they can never and now they'll never know because they can't. Ugh. Yeah. Despite Kaysera's death being ruled suspicious, the Bighorn County Sheriff's Department, FBI, and BIA have ignored all tips yeah. and information given to them by her family. The FBI stated it did not have the jurisdiction to investigate Kaysera's death because her body was found half a mile off of the reservation. 
who's to say the police didn't kill her on the reservation and then dragged her off the reservation because they knew that the FBI couldn't investigate and it could fall through the cracks. Right. That is my theory. And Franz heard like three quarters of the, the evidence and he was like, oh yeah, they killed her. Like, yeah. If all of that is true. It's all alleged. It's all rumors. I don't know. I don't have factual, but it is suspicious. If it's all true, then yeah, I definitely can see. Yeah. I would say that they're guilty. Yeah. And they're, it's a cover up. But again, we don't have factual. I don't have the video. I don't have anything like that. So yeah, I don't know. Don't go, don't go shooting people. <laughs> don't. Yeah. Because <sighs> I don't know. There's no other evidence of anything else that happened. Because mm -mm. there's just no cause of death, no nothing. We just know where she was found, and that's it. Right. So, wow. And she's the one that was missing for that they found her body, and they and didn't. Then Nineteen days later, or two two weeks later. That's when. Oh her yeah, family, I'm sorry. Her family was told. No, you're good because it's a lot. Nineteen days later was Henny. Yeah. Um, but she's the one that she didn't. She was there. Her family wasn't told that they found a body. Right. So time to cover it up maybe yeah pay off the already shitty mortuary guy and oh. selena not afraid supposedly there are mixed stories from the two men and three women that were in the car with selena when she and the other young woman were left at the rest stop on new year's day i don't fully know what those stories are some say that the car broke down and they fixed it but they didn't want anything bad to happen so they called their parents but that's fucking weird and then I don't know what the other ones are. I couldn't like find a description of all the stories that they told, but apparently they didn't all line up. Yeah. There is another Snapchat video that was circulated on social media of an altercation that Selena had with one of the boys in the van that day. I have his name, but I'm not going to say it for right. privacy reasons. Um, yeah. In the video, he was clearly visible. I believe he like was saying something and then like took his hat from her or something she wasn't super visible you could only see like her arm and i think like the side of her face at certain times i only found a still image of it i never found the actual video bighorn county sheriff's department searched for selena for 15 to 20 hours each day they were looking they interviewed one person of interest seven times and a few others four to six times which i think is the people are the people in the van yeah in my opinion in the 20 days of her being missed, they followed up with 148 leads and came up with nothing. They had people on foot. This is the um, sheriff's department. Uh, they had people on foot looking for her, a helicopter and a drone. However, she was found a little further out than they expected her to be for like a girl that's not dressed in the, for the conditions and was like running and whatever. The sheriff's department was treating her case as search and rescue. Once her body was found, they released a press statement stating that foul play wasn't suspected as there were no footprints or tire tracks near Selena's body. And I wrote, including her own. Yeah. Where are her foot tracks? It's also been Unless they days. found hers and didn't find anyone else's. Like, right. they saw hers that were clearly walking up to that spot. But it's been 20 days. Yeah. In January in Montana. I feel like even if it didn't snow or rain, which it did, there'd be wind that would, like, cover any yeah. potential footprints or whatever. The United States Attorney's Office delivered a press release immediately after the sheriff's press release was released. That was... <laughs> release, release, release. <laughs> um, it gave mixed messages to the public. So the sheriff's department basically was like, no foul play. We're not treating this as criminal. We're treating it as a search and rescue. But the United States Attorney's Office stated that they required a production of all evidence associated with the search and location of Selena by law enforcement. They even subpoenaed the sheriff's department to ensure they got all the evidence. They stated that her case was being looked at as criminal and that no persons, no matter how much power they hold, are immune from prosecution in her case. Which sounds like the attorney thinks that they're covering it up. Yeah. They just don't have proof. Um... The DCI, which is the detective chief inspector, is reviewing all of the sheriff's offices cases, case files and evidence to make sure they didn't miss anything. And they're like, yes, please do it. So we're not under scrutiny. Oh, that's In December it. of 2020. So this was only four months ago. Deandra Pittman, the woman who threw the New Year's party at her house, was charged with endangering the welfare of children. 
Court documents state that she invited Selena with the intention to drink alcohol. Pittman passed out at some point in the evening, woke up, and Selena was gone. This charge came one week before the statute of limitations would have expired for it. Wow. Interesting. I wonder if they did that just to, I mean, she should be charged, in my opinion. But, but like, they I, probably did it just to be like, see, look, we're doing things. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So those are my theories. Do you have anything? I have nothing. I have nothing. I have nothing. Anger? <laughs> yeah. What I have. Yeah. That last one, I just brought all that up because it was like, yeah, the families are saying you're not doing anything and the police are like, this is all that we're doing. Like they did do a lot, but they also aren't doing anything at the same time. Right. I don't know. It's like, yeah, now you're doing something. But what about these four other cases? Yeah. And I think the jurisdiction thing is crazy. Like how the FBI can only investigate certain ones. So they can't look into case errors at all and everything's limited and it's, yeah. So what's happening to help Desi Rodriguez Lombear is a social demographer and she claims that every tribe needs to create their own data sets. She is case aunt, the one that said the teeth thing. Yeah. Um, she grew up in Bighorn County and she is working with tribes to create data systems for each tribe. Bighorn County has the highest number of missing women of any county throughout America. Yep. There's a lot of data collected on native people, but not by them or for them. She is trying to find out how to build sovereign data systems and link them with existing data systems and how can they be used to drive their own policies. Operation Lady Justice was national legislation that was signed in 2019 by President Donald Trump. I wrote Donald. Yep. <laughs> Donald. Donald Trump. Um, I, um, I think I covered a little yeah. bit about it. I think you did too. Um, he, they, it was creating a task force for missing and murdered American Indians and Alaska Natives. I have linked this. They have a big report, especially for um, Montana, and I've linked it at the top of our references. So you can read about it yourselves if you want to get a better understanding of at least what they're aiming for and what they're trying to do. The task force has been extended to June 30th, 2023, which is not a very long time, but no. we'll see how much they can get done. The Department of Justice is trying to get more coordinated law enforcement and data collection while allowing tribes to maintain their sovereignty. So it is difficult. Yeah. It's like a huge mix of just like, we want you to be able to police yourselves because you're a sovereign nation, but like you also have to not kill people and then solve it and whatever. I don't, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Some statistics before I sign us out. Native Americans make up 6.7% of Montana's population and 26% of missing person reports. In Montana alone, indigenous women and girls make up 3 to 4% of the population. They make up for 30% of people deemed missing by the Montana Department of Justice. Homicide is the fourth leading cause of death for Native women under 20. Over 50% of Native deaths are classified incorrectly, i.e. hypothermia, suicide. They are also misclassified as different races. So no one really knows because they'll be like, they're Mexican or they're whatever. Um, according to the Department of Justice, there have been more than 5,400 missing people reports filed in Montana from 2017 to 2019. Most of those cases were closed within a day or two. However, 26% of Montana's missing person reports are First Nations people who have been missing for a month or longer. Frida Knows Gun, or Knows His Gun, has mm -hmm. been missing since October 18th, 2016 from Crow Agency, Montana, although she was last seen in Kennewick, Washington. She is classified as endangered missing. She was born on March 14th, 1982 and would be 39 now. At the time of her disappearance, she was 34 years old, five foot five and weighed 150 to 160 pounds. She's a native American female with brown hair, brown eyes. Her hair was waist length at the time of her disappearance and was usually in a ponytail or a bun. She has a long scar on her right elbow and the names of her three children, Lyrical Trinity and Mason tattooed on her back in between her shoulder blades. Hmm. She also has a tattoo of Mickey Mouse with a basketball on her right calf, a flower and initials on her right shoulder, two masks and a banner reading knows his gun on her upper right arm. Wow. So if anyone sees her. I'm glad that she's got those like the tattoos and stuff. It makes her very easy to. Yeah. Yeah. 
I wanted to do like a big list of missing and murdered indigenous people from 1990 till today. Um, but I just have what I could find. So these are people from Bighorn County that are missing. Dang. Mildred Alexis Old Crow, eight years old. She went missing in 2019. Ransom Simpson is 14 years old. He went missing in 2020. Charles Bear Crane is 11 years old. He went missing in 2020. Elon Bear Crane is eight years old. He went missing in 2020. Person J- Percy Jackson is seven years old. He went missing in 2020. Shakaya Blue Harding. I don't have the dates for these. It's all recent. Shakaya Blue Harding. Allison Highwolf. Evander White Dirt. Hannah Harris. Tristan Gray. Selena's older sister was murdered, unsolved. Selena's brother, Preston Bell, he was killed by police during a chase, although not considered unsolved. And her twin sister, Zoe Not Afraid, became the youngest person to commit suicide in a decade in 2011. And they are not missing, but they're still tragedies. So I wanted to mention them. Yeah. Frida Nosegun, who is still missing. Bonnie Three Irons, Henny Scott, K. Sarah Stops Pretty Places, and Selena Not Afraid, plus many more. As of October 2019, there are over 600 missing and murdered indigenous women from Montana and the Northern Plains, and that is not counting the men who have similar numbers missing. If you or someone in your family has any information about any of these missing indigenous people, please contact the Crow Agency Bureau of Indian Affairs, 406-638-2672. Or if you'd like to share your own theories, please feel free to email us at mrreticle at gmail.com. Follow us at Mr. Reticle on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok. And don't forget to give us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't play with strangers. And don't trust your government. And don't forget. This is when the, hang on, there we go. (laughs) There it is. I felt that stuck in my chest. Okay, sorry.